The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Pile of Scrap. So today we have a very special episode, and I'm not sure how much recycling we're going to talk about, but I have Mark Sanchez of ESPN. Correct. Former NFL quarterback. Yes, sir. And best of all, former USC Trojan. That's right, baby. Fight on. I'm fight on. Class of 84. Class of 08, 09. 09 Rose Bowl, 08 graduate. There you go. Is that right? We'll check that. The Sacco family. My wife's a graduate, class of 87. And our daughter, Giovanna, will be class of 2021. So cool. May 14th. She graduates on my wife's birthday. Oh, boy. So it's like, who gets the most important day? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think Giovanna's going to win. Whatever you do, celebrate at Luigi's. That place is awesome. Well, we're going to be in LA. I don't even know if we're going to have a graduation. Yeah, it could be a like virtual it. graduation. Two years in a row. Two years in a row. It's, it's sad. Well, I hope that's not where we get to. Mark, thanks for joining. Yes, sir. You know, uh, how are you here? You're friends with my nephew, Philip, as we call him, Little Heel. You know, that you guys have a friendship. You guys spar and you work out and you're boxing. And you came up here that you wanted to check out this recycling world. That's right. Give me your first impression. What'd you um, see, man? I, I told Phil right away as soon as we got done touring the yard, the parts department, seeing the balers, everything. I didn't realize the next steps of recycling because all you think of is, you know, my plastic container or, you know, single use plastic item and I just throw it in a blue bin. Right. And it has that little triangle that has the arrows on it and that's about it. Recycle, reduce, reuse. Like that's what I remember from school. That's what I do in my brain quickly when I throw something in the recycler, but then what, right? And it's not just bottles, it's not just plastic, it's metals and, and bronze and brass and all this stuff out there, I just was blown away. All the wiring, copper wiring, I mean, there was more copper wiring, that thing would wrap around the globe 10 times it seemed like, so I didn't understand what really goes into it. And then to see the gentleman operating the machinery, to cut those pipes, to cut, um, all those materials into specific size requirements or specs to send to another place to refine it and then do the whole thing over again was impressive. It's eye-opening, isn't it? Oh my gosh. It, Everybody should see it because it matters, right? Just when you see that, you're like, wow. 100%. Think of that old bike that we just put in the regular trash or whatever. Like somebody has to separate all this stuff, your, your old appliances, you know, all that kind of stuff. And what was crazy, we talked about out there, Phil and I, I said, you know, when you take this to the dump in San Juan, which is close to my house, you have to pay. Right. You have to pay a fee to go drop that thing off. You could bring it to a plant like this and get money instead of paying money. I'm like, who's, who's on PR with that? We need to figure that well, out. Well, we, we, you know, that's a great point. And I think the recycling industry, one of the things that the recycling, I think it's very misunderstood because everybody, the first thing you think of is what? Blue bin. Yep. People don't realize the industrial nature of recycling. Okay, you build airplanes, mm -hmm. for example, and Boeing's got all this aluminum. All the scrap aluminum is going right. back into the thing. GM, Ford, Chrysler, yeah. all the cars. Huge all, corporations. And, but all the scrap they generate from the manufacturing process is getting made back into new. I saw the shavings yes. for all the different, I was like, you what is the all? Brace, the, the, the knee brace, that's right. Yes. I wore one of those bad boys. You wore one of those, all those knee braces come basically from recycled aluminum. It's wild. Now you were telling us 
earlier in t talking that you have some screws in your shoulder. From I do. I have uh, six anchors in my shoulder. I had a, uh, uh, not a rotator cuff, a labrum tear. My fourth, fifth year, fifth year in the NFL with the Jets. I tore it in a preseason game. It dislocated, and I had to go to go down to uh, Dr. Andrews in Alabama and Pensacola, Florida. That's right. And he uh, he he fixed me up, and I did rehab with Kevin Wilk, and they put six anchors in here and and fixed up that labrum, and then I could throw again. Those anchors are made from titanium, which is fifty percent recycled. There we go. Picture. That could have came right through here. It could have, or you know, all the, the the former players have to have knee replacements, yeah, shoulder, yeah. you know, hip replacements. Those materials are all fifty percent recycled. Recycled. So it, it's interesting. You know, we were talking at lunch today about field turf versus natural grass. But field turf, the little rubber, yeah. as we talked about, is uh, recycled tires. Tires. Okay. So there, it's incredible the recycle industry recycling industry how it impacts the everyday life of everybody around the world yet it's not it's always thought of blue bin plastic right. aluminum milk jug Ooh, i've done my part right and there's right. a lot more to it no doubt all right so your father growing up was a firefighter he was 30 years a captain for a long time when i was a kid growing up here and up to t even today the fire, Kern County Fire Department, Bakersfield Fire Department, would come here and, and practice on the jaws of life on used, on old automobiles. Oh, wow. So I'm wondering if your dad ever had that opportunity to, with them. I'm sure he did, because the jaws yeah, of life. 100%. It would have been in the scrap metal operation. That's unbelievable. He's definitely used that, and it was actually used on him to cut him out of a car accident that he was in on um, Santiago Canyon Road. I was in the sixth grade. It was in April of sixth grade. I remember it like yesterday because my brother showed up at school, which never happened. He came to pick me up. He said, dad's in the hospital. I was like, what? This was like a week after Columbine. So like those things kind of marked those days, you know? And, and I remember uh, my, it was real wet and another car lost control and slammed right into the front of my dad's Honda Civic or Accord or something like that and busted him up pretty good. I mean, he's fallen through roofs. He's, um, you know, he's had a bunch of injuries as a firefighter and this one was essentially like off duty and boom, just smacks his car and he had to get cut out of the car, called 911 himself, got out of the car and they, they got him to the hospital, but it was the jaws of life that, that saved right. him. And, and, and many, many recyclers that do metal recycling have automobiles across this country mm -hmm. welcome at a moment's notice, the bill calls you. Absolutely, you come on in, because we give back to the community in ways that's not known. And that training that yep. your dad had yep. also saved his life. No doubt. No and that's doubt. crazy. You see, the, the recycling industry won't get. We, we're doing a bad job messaging that. But uh, I mean, that's the. It just has to be. Um, I guess repurposed, yeah, well, <laughs> recycled. <laughs> it you sounds silly, but the 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 idea that this stuff goes around, it comes around full circle, right? That could be like the new PR movement. Well, is it is, and, and you're you're spot on, and this is why we do pile of scrap. And people who are going to listen to this and who watch this, we're going to hear the story, and they're going to go, "I had no idea." Yeah, that's which is exactly what I said. I feel like everybody has no idea and, and, and it, but you know it, it, it's it's part of the whole education process it's gonna be a little more fun people go oh, former NFL quarterback but your dad okay you're six years old and your dad gets banged up pretty mm -hmm. bad 
that's got to be pretty hard on you. And you're sixth grade. You're still wanting to be a quarterback. Did you know you were going to be a quarterback in sixth grade? Is that what you're playing? Or where were you in sixth grade? Because, you know, you're not too far from high school yeah. into... So I didn't really start playing quarterback until probably middle school. So maybe another year or so after that. Uh, I played fullback, running back, linebacker, defensive end, you name it. I played every position. And we'd always play catch a ton before practice, after practice. I think my dad might have had an idea because I did throw the ball fairly well. Uh, but then I remember he took me to my eventual high school coach named Bob Johnson. His son was Rob Johnson, uh, who won a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, but played in the league for a long time. And he, um, my dad took me to him because he's like, hey, listen, he's my kid. Obviously, I'm biased. I think he's pretty good. I don't know. You see a lot of quarterbacks, coach. Let us know. And so he put me through a series of workouts. And he invited me back and then invited me back and he goes, yeah, we're actually making some quarterback tapes. Would you mind if your son's in it? Some drills that we're going to film that he does pretty well that we're going to send out. And this is kind of like a side business for us. And so my dad's like, so he's doing okay. He goes, oh yeah, I'd stick with it. So, so the importance of your, 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 my dad, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, my father was my mentor. Okay. I mean, he was an immigrant from Italy in 1935. Many people already know that, but Growing up, it was he was training me when I was in the backseat of his Fleetwood, Cadillac Fleetwood, about corporate structure. It was a I, I don't know why I remember it. So your father and you, your relationship, pushing you towards sports, or was he saying, Mark, education first? What, what, yeah. what was that like? What was growing uh, up in the Sanchez household with your father and what he meant to you? Not we're not going to diss old mom because mom's no, a mom. No, no, mom no. Nobody ever disses mom, but. Your father, you know, the story you're telling us is yeah. pretty impactful. He, he pushed me hard. Mom was always the, um, you know, unconditional love, you know, love and support and hang in there because it's not always easy working with your dad, you know, because he wants to push you and he knows he sees your potential and sees what you can be, but he also sees all the obstacles that you're going to face and he wants you to prepare for them and wants to prepare you for them himself. So um, that was kind of the relationship growing up, but he... Um, for example, it wasn't just sports. Like homework had to be done before football, baseball, basketball practice. Like that was just like a non-starter right there. And there were times when I'd miss practice and he would just leave me at home and go coach the team. And I had to do homework. And I was just like, man, that's like, right. this is ridiculous. My son didn't like my Cause I just, player. you know, I just want to go ball. You know, I don't want to do these spelling words. I want to go play. But you know, I did well in school and uh, because he was pushing me and, and I, you know, I knew it was important, but one of the things that I think is so important is he pushed sports with us because of the lessons they teach you for life. So he always thought it was very important to be able to speak in front of people, to express your thoughts, to articulate yourself well. That was always an important skill that he thought I needed to know. To the point where he'd pick me up from school, we'd be driving home in his Ford F-150 and diesel engine, always <laughs> and uh he would make me tell him about my day and it couldn't be just it was good it was yeah. fine you know well what'd you learn blah 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 and i had to go down the list and then by the time we got home we'd be sitting in the driveway i told him all about school and then he would make me tell him all over again and he said you can't say like and you can't say um do it again please that's fantastic and i was blown away at the time and i was so frustrated until i got to that point where i just said okay i'm not going to do that anymore 
I'm going to express myself without using those words so I don't have to start over. Henceforth, you're able to get in front of camera today on ESPN. So, and you're not going, um, um, yeah. The next one, the next one is quite silly, but at the time, you know, I, I resented my dad for this, but you have your little league season. Okay. We play T-ball and I was on the Red Sox call it. I don't remember, but you know, coach has, uh, the banquet at, your local, you know, pizza joint, Fuddruckers, you always, know, it was always a pizza joint. something like that. So my dad goes and gets a gift certificate to the local Applebee's or Sizzler or something. And he makes me go in front of the team, all the kids, the parents, the everybody else, the coaching staff and present an award on behalf of the team to our coach. And he made me say it, which at the time felt like you know, an entire arena of people. I'm like a little kid, you know, I don't want to talk to all these people. And here I am on behalf of the Rancho Santa Margarita Little League Red Sox, 31 and three was our record and blah, blah, blah. You know, you go through the whole thing and I'd come up with a script of what I wanted to say. We'd like to thank you, Coach Smith, for blah, blah, blah. Here's a gift certificate, a token of our appreciation and a special thank you to your wife, Mrs. Smith, for giving him or allowing him to use his time on us. And it was like, it became a thing every year. I did it every year for every sport. And so when did you go, I got this. So, and I know Lord dad, okay, it was dad, just one this. of those things like, okay, I got to do this. But then fast forward, and this wasn't for football to be the quarterback of the New York Jets, but to have 30, 40, 50 beat writers and reporters and cameras and, and they want to talk to you right after a game when you're emotional and all that, it was normal. It was normal to give a presentation in front of a 300 person class at USC was normal to get on the field in front of thousands of people was normal. I just, that's, I could do that to articulate myself to my teammates, to whoever that became normal because I did it so much. So it was, it was more about those kind of skills that football or baseball or basketball sports would teach me than, Hey, you're going to be the quarterback of the New York. Nobody knew that. So that was, that was what he pushed us in. And I think that the public speaking, I, I met with Margaret Thatcher. She was at our trade association. Now I interviewed George Bush in front of 2000 mm. people. It didn't bother me because I did eighth grade graduation speech. <laughs> you see stuff like that sticks with and you. Because I watched my dad talk in front of people. And I guess that's why I don't have a problem getting in front of the camera. I don't even really notice it. But Margaret Thatcher told me something. It was interesting. She talked just me and her. After a photo session at our trade association at Israel, she, uh, we talked and she says, you know, one of the things that I'm really disturbed with today's schooling in the world is kids are no longer made to stand up in front of their class and recite poetry. She got poetry. She goes, if you can get up and recite poetry to a class, you can stand up and talk and articulate. Right. From anybody. Right. It was interesting. The, I've the heard point this is, from yeah, the, the point is you're not going to stand up and read some sonnet from Shakespeare. That's not the point. The point is you can speak in front of people, and that is such an important skill, and it's getting lost. D David Shaw, Coach Stanford, yes. recruits kids who can articulate. Smart. He, gotcha. You know, you, you don't go to Stanford, you know, getting into SE is tough enough, right? Yep. Getting into Stanford is even harder. Oh yeah, but a kid who cannot articulate to Coach Shaw, he won't recruit. It's impossible. Yeah, your your playing ability for places like that sets 
the floor, and then your skills outside of playing. Everything else is your ceiling. So are you talking to kids now? Do you have a, a you know, do you get asked to talk to schools and are you, are you discussing that? Quite a bit. And that's awesome. Currently in, in this, you know, season well, of life with COVID. with COVID, it's a little different, but in this, you know, season of life, right after the NFL season, when these college players decide to go to the NFL, I'll help out with either my agency's group of quarterbacks or some other groups of quarterbacks that are getting ready to make that jump. And it's not, you know, I'm not out there coaching them on their footwork. They have quarterback gurus and specialists that do a lot of that. But I just hang around with them when we watch tape. I hang around to see how they interact with each other because it's, it's so interesting to me. Uh, and it's like, you know, an experiment in some ways to see these guys. And I've covered these guys in college. The Brady Whites, the Shane Bouchelles, the Trevor Lawrences, Justin Fields. All these guys, I've seen them all year. But now I get to sit in a room and watch tape and hear that, like, see how they visualize the game and then hear them talk it. Like, how can you talk to me about this game? Can you tell me what you're seeing clearly, concisely? Can we go through this film together? And are you ready for that next step? Are you ready for this next level? And I get, to, I get this incredible insight. And then I also get to impart anything I've seen in the league. Like, hey man, these are, this is one way of learning things. Here's another way of learning things. Here's a, here's a routine I use Monday through Saturday to get me ready for a game. Here's what I know other players have used. Uh, you know, here's a little trick about this. Here's what I did when I had a sore arm. Here's whatever. And so you get to talk with these kids, and it's important that you can express yourself. Well, okay, this is what's fascinating to me. Because, you know, you knew you had to come to a time where your NFL career is coming to, mm -hmm. to a close, and you knew there's that next step. And because you were prepared to talk, because you... Talking became easy for you because of the training, if you will, as a kid from your parents. That's this next stepping stone in your life. No doubt. The how second many, career. How many of these kids do you feel are missing this? How many of them in today's world versus when you grew up, how many kids can you say today really know the true ability to articulate and the importance of it? I don't think many do. And what's funny is, um, you know, I fall into that trap all the time of like, oh, I'll text you. And my dad, I think on purpose, has that old flip phone that has like the three key punch texting, right. whatever it was called, I forget. But he won't text us on purpose because he makes you call his ass and talk to him because he wants to hear your words. He wants to hear your voice because so much, that's the other thing, so much gets lost in either the, the tone of your voice the the you know the circumstances the the atmosphere in which you're talking the environment uh, you know over text over an email I mean people get pissed off people get heated people get upset from reading words but they don't know exactly how the words were meant to be delivered right so I think that is still a lost art and and when you're everything in life right is is some sort of negotiation here or there and the tone is everything saying something like man, you know, joking around saying like, ah, you know, you're really a jerk or man, you're a jerk. I mean, those have two very different yeah, connotations on the telephone that you can't really yes, tell. So. You know, my son, to his credit, he calls me after every round. He's a, he's a high school golf. He That's really, what I hear. He's a good. really good golfer and he's really working hard, but he calls me after every round. And boy, you could tell the pain after a bad round, or you can tell the thrill. You can feel it. But you know, he won't text me it because he calls and he's just like, 
he, I think he figured it out. If I just don't tell him now, he's, he's going to interrogate me when he gets home. So he, he figures that out, which I think is great. But uh, that's, you know what, Mark, that, thanks for sharing that. Because I think ultimately, you know, podcasts, we do, to me, that, that's, that's a, just an incredible thing. Somebody's going to click on this because they're going to see former NFL quarterback Mark Sanchez or ESP and an analyst Mark Sanchez, and they're going to want to hear from you. And they're going to go, Wait, I was hoping he was going to talk about game plans and all this. And he's talking about articulating. Yeah. yeah. You know, but see, that's the commitment business owners. You know, here we are, we own these big businesses, these multi million dollar operations in the recycling industry. As owners, and, and you know, my nephew Phil's coming up, you know, the next generation, you've got to be able to articulate to your employees, you've got to be able to articulate to your customers. Yep. Again, this is a commitment, you know, an NFL career. Can last. What's the average? Six, seven years, six oh, years. Average is like three and a half, maybe. Okay, and you played how many years? Ten. Ten. So you went above average. Oh yeah. And then, but you're only thirty-four years old. So that's the thing is you, some, in some ways, my life is upside down that way because I've been working at something for so long, but then when you go back out and you want to do something else, you're behind everybody. Everybody else has had potentially two or three jobs. You know, they've had experience in maybe recycling, maybe in sales, maybe in tech, maybe in finance, but now they have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do. Now, thankfully, I played long enough and made enough money and saved that money that, you know, I'm okay. But now it's like, okay, what do you want to do? What do you really want to put your focus on? What's my four-year-old son going to see me doing every day? I can't just sit back and be like, oh, that guy used to play football a long time ago and made some money. Like what kind of example is that for him? So I gotta, I gotta get up and go to work, you know? And so that's where TV came in. That's where the second career came in. But all those skills matter. I just got to play football for 10 years and I'm very blessed to do that. But I still need all those skills that help me play football, not just the physical side, all the other things, being able to articulate yourself, you know, uh, cultivate relationships with people. Those are all important skills that I needed for everything else I'm going to do. Was this his first year you didn't play? Was this your first year fully retired? Second. Second year. Okay. Did you miss it this year? Uh, not as much as I did last year. All right. So <laughs> you now can... You look at Tom Brady. Oof, what an amazing run. And he's still running. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you don't think, man, I think I can still get out there? Or are you? do you know now you're done? No, I know. I know I'm in a good place. I like where I'm at. I like what I'm doing on TV. I uh, love the podcast stuff. I love... So you're podcasting. I wanted to go to that. So you're in the podcast. Real quick on the Brady issue. Brady at 45, 44, 45, and he's still competing. That's no different than in our industries where you go and you see some of these old timers, guys in their 80s. My father was 87 and a half when he died of cancer. He was here every day. He was here, sat okay, every day, Monday through Friday, dad would show up at 8.30 every morning. On Saturday morning, 7 a.m., and he'd call me, why aren't you here? Dad, you're not in the office until 8.30 Monday through Friday, why are you here? But it's that drive. Yeah. Work was his thing. And that first generation mentality, right? Because when you're here first, like, he came over here with, I'm assuming, not much. He didn't have 90 this. bucks. My dad always says he came to America with $90 in his pocket. So my grandfather was very similar, coming from Mexico. And, we're about to Mexico. Uh, my great-grandparents for, were from Zacatecas. And coming over here, they he worked um, engineering in the war. He was in World War II, 
uh, worked engineering, worked at Kodak and a couple different um, camera companies after that because he did a bunch of photography stuff um, either during the war or shortly after. But it was like, all right, how, what am I doing for the rest of my family that's eventually going to be here and take over what I have? Like, I got to leave them something bigger, better, more. And that's the immigrant mentality. That mentality is, is strong, man. And they don't. It there's no like. Oh, there's no quitting. Yeah, they're like, oh, they, it didn't really work, or you know, I don't really feel good. That that's like not. <laughs> that's not okay. My dad, you know, it's incredible. He had can when he was dying of cancer, and we never talked about it. But I'll never forget the day he walks in my office with his cane, sits down right where you're sitting, Mark, and he says to me, "Do you love your son? Do you love John Carlo?" And I said, "Yeah." I go, why do you kind of mind? He goes, you love John Carlo? I go, well, of course, Dad. He goes, well, you're my John Carlo. Until, mm. you know, it was never that generation. All they wanted to do was to give to their family, yeah. give a better life, and keep giving. And yeah. you're blessed. Your father, the firefighter, oh, no. your grandfather. And I mean, we're blessed beyond, and now you're doing something with it. So let's talk about your podcast. I'm going to sure. shift gears and go to podcasts because I'll, I'll start getting all emotional if I start talking more about dad. Do you like it? I you love having it. You have fun? I love mine. I love first The first couple episodes, I didn't know what to make of it. I was just like, you know, I get on there and I ask these people some questions, and like, I was still feeling it out. And then I got, I watched a lot of them again. I got a little coaching, um, and I started to think of, okay, these questions, obviously I'm not just asking yes or no questions, but like we got to get a little deeper. Maybe we go into their family history if there's something special there that people don't know. Um, you know, with DeMarcus Ware talking about all his brothers and sisters, how he used to have to do yard work, like even when he was playing college ball, uh, the day he got the call from Jerry Jones, yeah. um, hugging Peyton Manning in the locker room after winning his first Super Bowl that he had wanted to win in Dallas for so long. And what was that moment like? What did you guys say to each other? And just hearing him go back into that moment, then I was like, okay, I'm getting somewhere. We just recently had Alex Smith on, who might be my favorite interview of all time, and talking about the will and drive to get back on the football field. And he counted the days of his rehab, and he's like, every day there was a little victory for me to achieve. And he's like, I fought like hell to get it. I fought like hell to get it. And I was just like blown away. He has a, uh, an apparel line called Just Live. And that's what he was telling himself in that bedroom. And he said, you know, everybody knows about a lot of things, uh, you know, on the surface of this injury. He's like, but the lonely nights in that hospital with just me and my wife and her pushing me to snap out of it, to snap out of negative town and just get back to who I am and then go take the kids to practice and then put them down for bed and then take them to school and I'm there. You know, I'm there just thinking about what I'm missing. And it was just, I mean, it was, it blew me away to connect with somebody like that. And so now I don't view it as an interview. This is a connection. We're building a bridge and a relationship hopefully for a long time. But I was just so impressed with where it's gone with the podcast and thankful for the opportunity that I've gotten. And I, and I, that's how I feel about the podcast. You know, I, I, I've had you and Uncle Crocker, the two non-recyclers that I've had on. And I've really had a lot of fun. It's, it's hey, I got a blue bin at home. <laughs> That's okay. We're, oh, okay, let's do a little test oh, here. No. Now, oh, no. Recyclable or not recyclable? Yes or no? Mm. Toothpaste tube. The tube? Yeah. 
No. Good answer. Pizza boxes. I feel like anything with food, you got to get the food off of it or something, no? Because you can't have food you in the get thing. Get food out, but the pizza box is recycled. Yeah. Shampoo bottles. <laughs> no. Yes. Shampoo. Milk jugs. Yes. Yes. Milk jugs are worth more than aluminum right now, by the way. This is the craziest damn thing I've ever heard. Let me write yeah. that down. <laughs> Laundry detergent bottles. Gotta be, yes. Yes. Styrofoam. Gotta be. Not no, really. actually, aren't those like the worst thing? Aren't they trying to get rid of styrofoam in general? Styrofoam is star polystyrene is not a really good product, right. and the repurposing of it is not real good. That's right. Dang it, I knew that. Okay, you got a little kid. You know those little Capri Sun juices? Oh, yeah. Recyclable or not recyclable? Yes. Got no. It. Why? Because they're too it's cross contaminated. You got a, you got a poly liner and it's a plastic and it looks like foil. It's not. It's just garbage. So it's not metal at all. There's no. nothing. It looks like it, but it's not. We're done with those. <laughs> done. Well, you know, you you can buy. There are some products that you know in food packaging. People are now look. You're you're in great shape. You're a healthy, and I'm sure you're you're, you're making choices when you buy food. But have you ever considered buying a product that has post-consumer recyclables in it? Have you ever ever crossed your mind that you would buy something that has more recycled content in it and the packaging or what have you? I can't say, honest, okay. yeah, I can't say I have. No, it, it's changing. People and are doing that. People are starting to change now. People are actually making decisions based on the packaging. But how do they even find out who's gonna make a decision that way? The consumer companies? Yeah. They're the focus groups. Oh. They focus group, you know, to the ends. And so people are, are beginning to see they're making choices in supermarkets hmm. based on... So they'll show that focus group packaging saying like recyclable whatever or yeah, biodegradable yeah, such and such. Or... Well, okay. Biodegradable. You're a surfer. Okay. I mean, I know how. I'm not well, Okay, but you love the ocean, right? You live love right the by ocean. the ocean. Love okay. the ocean. Well, biggest problem we have in our oceans is plastics, as you know. Right. Okay, how do we get plastics out of the ocean? That's one problem to keep it from flowing into the ocean. Well, I was just last week in North Carolina with the president of Atlantic Packaging. They've come up with a product that's called Fishbone. Instead of being those uh, can holders made out of plastic rings, sure. it's made out of cardboard. Cardboard from recycled cardboard. Recycled like we plastic. just saw in the bales. Just like you saw in the bales out here. Wow. And so when those go into the blue bin and they go into the facility to be sorted, it's recycled. Yeah, because you see all those horrible pictures of them around like a seagull or whatever. Or turtles. Yeah, yeah, turtles. And it's 12 weeks in the environment if it were to get them biodegradable in 12 weeks, it's gone. Oh, wow. So people, some surfers, my nephew knows some of these surfers in Hawaii yeah. uh, we've talked about, they have some drinks on their own and they have, they wanted to make sure that their product when it's at the store shows have, that, yeah. has the cardboard cane holders. They don't want plastic anymore. Because they're in the oceans. They have the stake in clean ocean because they're surfing. So it's, it's, it's gradually, gradually, you know, picking up steam. And so these are the things, you know, it's just great to have you here to see recycling from an industrial say, standpoint. We, we, did, we did something for the Super Bowl, not this most recent one, but the year before in Miami with MSC Cruises, Mediterranean Shipping Company, and how they've gone completely away from single-use plastic items they're using more LED lights. Right. Uh, they've 
abandon the use of microbeads. I don't know what you use microbeads for. But they said don't use them, so I was like, okay, I'm anti-microbean now. Um, <laughs> what else? But they start, they basically, um, on all these huge cruise lines, which have been down right now because of COVID, but all these huge cruise lines, I mean, you talk about non-recyclable goods or single-use plastic items. I mean, you'll burn through them like crazy. And so, you don't want somebody to toss that stuff overboard. 100%. So that's why they're, they're moving. So we were in a music video. Me, Larry Fitzgerald, Jarvis Landry. Um, Who's, who's the musician? Oh my gosh, uh, Alexander Starr is his name. And, um, oh, you gotta pull it up, it's really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. Cause we're like, kind of like rapping in it and singing in it. It, it was really cool. Alexander but they started, Star? yeah, Alexander Starr. I'm gonna write that so down. we, um, so they actually um, purchased an island off the coast of Miami and they're replanting a bunch of the coral reef uh, along with all the, the eliminating single use plastic items. So they're trying to work at both ends essentially to protect the environment, save the coral reef, because as it dies, the entire That's ecosystem the gets thrown off. So the Super Bowl in 2018 had a zero waste thing, and it was their attempt to make sure everything recyclable got into the recycle bin. Of course, food waste is a different thing. Sure. The NFL is incredibly powerful in the community. Yeah. And they, they, they've been working on the, you know, the, the issues of today. But the NFL and helping communities a clean environment in the communities will create a healthier environment in the community. You know, it seems I'm not saying for the NFL to get involved with this, but it's it's part of it's such a powerful organization. Yeah. And there's and its tentacles reach neighborhoods throughout North America, Canada to Mexico. These people in Mexico, look what they're doing. You know, NFL games in Mexico, in London and whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you feel they have a moral role or oh, is it what they feel is their role? I think it is, if it's important to the environment and their fans, well, if it's important to their fans, it'll be important to the NFL. Look at social injustice. Look at any other movement that right. goes on that gets juice from the NFL. Look at the NFL sponsors. Just think about Pepsi, Verizon. I mean, if they, if those two companies agreed to be partners with the NFL, we have to go through an entire, you know, retrofitting of our company and make sure we're producing things with a zero emissions standard or whatever. I'm just literally spitballing as we're talking. What's to say they can't do that? I mean, I, 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 or, hey, here's the cost of doing business as we know it for $20 million less if you guys do this in the community or have this recycling summit or this kind of, you know, green, whatever summit, I mean, they have the power to do those kind of yeah. things. And I think it's, I think it's important for people if we want to sustain this way of life, right? Cause when we were doing that thing with MSC cruises, they reminded us we're the only beings on this planet that create waste that can't be put right back into the planet, right? We're the only ones who come up with stuff that doesn't just, go away or help the planet in some way. So speaking of that, so you go over here and we you have a responsibility. It, you walk through our recycling facility. Now, can you imagine all that in the environment? That's what I'm saying. It's so good. So it's what was cool too, when we were walking through, it's funny because, um, you know, you walk through all these facilities that I've played. At. I played on six different NFL teams, but they have big posters of, you know, kind of the thing, the themes of your team, like who you are, you know, winning or, 
you know, big posters of the fans, like we do it for our fans or we, whatever it is, hard work, commitment, uh, you know, teamwork, all that kind of stuff. And so I saw all the big banners that you have about safety. Yeah. We either do it safely or not at all. You know, all those kind of things. Because it, it really does remind you. It's almost like, you know, tapping the, the gate, the Marv Goo gate when you walk onto Cromwell Field or yeah, whatever. You know, it was, it was sure. like one of those things. It was kind of cool. That was pretty right, so that Last subject before we end this. You play for a lot of teams. Okay. Mm-hmm. These are big business organizations. Mm-hmm. Which team that you played with really, in your opinion, had the best overall just they ran it just like incredible mm-hmm. to where you've actually taken something from it into your post NFL career you know I thought um, this is gonna sound crazy but I remember being in Denver for the short time I was there for an off season, probably six to eight months or so and thinking how well the organization was run they were coming right off their Super Bowl Super Bowl 50 and I was competing for the job didn't end up winning the job but I sat in the office with John Elway, who was like one of my childhood idols. I had his pictures all over my wall growing up. And he said, sorry, dude, we're going to have to let you go. And I was just like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Go where? And he said, hey, you know, we loved everything you brought here. um, But we're going to send you to Dallas. I'm like, okay. Okay. well, I got to say, this was a short stop. I hoped it would be longer, but this was one of the best places I've ever been. It felt like their community relations, their media department, the training staff, the coaching staff, everything was marching in the same direction. Everybody had the exact same marching orders, if you will. And even if they were, were potentially going in the wrong direction, even if it didn't work out for me personally, I still had so much respect for them and the way they operated. And um, it was it was incredible to so see. So the culture from the top to oh, the yeah. bottom was oh, clearly yeah. And that's where it starts. I mean, it's got to be at the top. And all those other things end up taking care of themselves. But there has to be one direction. You've got to be rowing in the same direction. Because as soon as somebody is off, it, you're just creating drag for the rest of the guys trying to move forward. So it's it's a frustrating thing when you're a part of a team, you know, that might even be winning, but you know you're lacking in a certain area and it will catch up with you at some point. You're just like cringing until right. that day. I have to ask. You went to Dallas. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. You went to Jerry World. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... It was incredible. Yeah. You just said Denver, great organization, yeah. top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And you got a lot of respect for that. Mm-hmm. But you get to Jerry World. Yeah. Real quick, in and uh, We They just opened their new facility in Frisco. It was incredible. I've never seen facilities like that in my life. They were gorgeous. And that place was a business. I mean, they are just printing money. They would, People would pay to go on tours there, like 50 bucks a head, to walk through our building. You said Frisco. Frisco, Texas. Frisco, Because oh. it's north of Dallas. Okay, I was thinking Arlington. Yeah, no, they That's moved. That's the old stadium. That was the old stadium. My so bad. So they moved all the facilities up to Frisco. And now Frisco is this booming place. But the Cowboys practice facility, the star, was the first place there. Okay? Then they partnered with like banks and other companies to share a building with us. There's a hotel now there attached to their building 
They have so many new businesses and restaurants. It's becoming its, its own entire city in itself. And Frisco is now this booming town, but it all started with him moving them there. And I mean, the, the biggest generator there was these tours during the day. So you'd be finishing a meeting at like two o'clock and you'd go out for a break and then you'd go back for another quarterback meeting or whatever. But there would be like this giant group of people walking right through your cafeteria. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, these people all paid for this tour. There's 50 people right here. <laughs> That's a lot of money. He's just printing money on anything. You name it. They had standing room only seats at the stadium that were, you know, a hundred bucks. I mean, everything was just like, okay, how, what are we doing here? How are we selling this logo? We're America's team and we're going to make a ton of money. I mean, he has, Jerry Jones has, owns the company that does all the catering in that stadium and also does it at all these new stadiums that are being built. So every new stadium, he's, you know, think about it at the owner's meetings. He's like, yeah, build that stadium. Boom. Pay me money for that. I like stadiums. For all that I mean, do you know why I like stadiums? Because a lot of the, the steel the steel is recycled, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, the rebar and the cement is going to come from a steel mill here in the U.S. The steel, the beams, and all that. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, build more. I didn't realize that. But yeah, for him, selfishly, all those catering companies are... Boom, they're, they're spitting out money. It was, it was incredible just to see the inner workings of a real business, not just the football side. Last thing, best individual sports moment, be it when you were a youth. Last thing, last question, uh, best moment you ever had, no matter how old you were, what was that one sport moment that, was, that you look back on your life and you just always go there? There are a couple, I'll rip them off fast, but I, my first play on varsity football was at San Margarita Catholic High School. We were playing at Cal State Fullerton. We are playing against Esperanza, I want to say. I, I can't remember. El Dorado. I forget the high school we are playing against. But I go in on a third and 15. The third quarter ends. It's third and 15. And they put me in. So I'm like warming up in, before the quarter starts. We go in. We throw double smash special, which was two corners. And special meant he runs a corner post. This team gives us split safety, boom. I throw it down the middle, 55-yard touchdown to Bobby Withorn on my first varsity pass. So that was like, and Bobby went on to play at Washington, and so um, that was incredible for me. In the Rose Bowl, um, we're on its third quarter before we end up blowing the doors off of Penn State. Uh, it's third and short. I want to say third and one to three, something like that. And we're looking at the wristband on the sideline. We burn a timeout. Sark's going over, hey, are we going to go, you know, Rose and Lee, which is like a naked, basically a boot out. Are we going to sprint out, go Spider uh, or Sally? Um, are we going to just hand the ball off or go to the line with a check? And Pete just grabbed me during the timeout because it was an extended timeout for the TV, uh, for, the, for the broadcast network. And he just put his arm around me and he goes, is this everything we ever talked about or what? And I was like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, remember, we're, he goes, look around, man. Look at this. This is the Rose Bowl, 100,000 people. You're the quarterback. We're about to convert this third down. I'm like, we don't even know what we're running on third down. What are you talking about convert this third down? And he goes, this is what I told you when you were 17, 18 years old. Remember your mom and dad and your brothers, your grandpa, everybody was in there. We were all excited talking about USC. I was in there with Eddie Ogeron, blah, blah. I said, yeah, of course I remember. But what the hell does that have to do with now? He's just, hey, relax. Soak it all in. Enjoy this. Let's go get that third down. And That's I was such just a like, great story. I'm like, this guy's nuts. He's nuts. But now looking back to see him be able to get that, you know, 
perspective. Get the first down. Oh yeah, we there got the go. first down. And, I mean, that <laughs> I was like that was like unimportant <laughs> now because I remember that moment so much more vividly. Looking around at all the cardinal and gold and the navy and white and I mean it's us versus Joe Paterno. I mean this was like a huge thing and he reminded me of all that in that very instant in about a minute that felt like a millennium, like it was crazy. And then he put me right back in the place I needed to be. Go get the first down. Go win the game. I mean it was, it was like a movie. You know it was, it was crazy. So that was great. Those you always and there's always a lesson from those too. Yeah. Pete, telling you. Calm down. You know, yeah. we have a Keep the perspective. We just, we just promoted a kid because somebody left the company just last week, two weeks ago, and, and he, he was, we want you to step up. Yeah. This is the opportunity you have. And he was like a little nervous. And yeah. I put my arm, I literally put my arm around him and I said, Ricardo, you got this. Yeah. And those kind of and words he, of affirmation. Week, he, earlier this week, he went up north, he fixed the problem on this baler and and think, little Phil's going to thank me for that one. But you know what? Great story. Mark, thank you for joining me. That's thank cool. you for agreeing to sit down and be part of the pile of scrap interview. Yeah. I wish you the best success. Mark, my friend, thank, thank you, you so much for being here. And that's it for another episode of Pile of Scrap. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.